really just, uh, you know, press in, dig deep. <laughs> so that's the only announcement that I had to share. Um, so if you would, everybody that gets on, just join together with me in prayer that this word would be from God, that it wouldn't be from me, that it wouldn't be something that I cleverly devised up from my study or my experience or my understanding, but that would actually be a word that God would be speaking through a vessel such as myself to you, that you would be able to receive something from the Spirit that you could take and apply to your life and grow and make change and press deeper into intimacy with Christ. So if you would, just join together with me in prayer and let's get this thing started. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to continue to minister your word. Lord, it's an unusual season. We've said that over a million times, I would think. Um, unprecedented circumstances. The list goes on of, of adjectives and descriptors that you could apply to this situation. But Lord, regardless, we still have the privilege to minister your word because of means like technology and Facebook and other vehicles that we are able to take opportunity from. Lord Jesus, so I just want to thank you for that, that Lord, I have this privilege to minister your word. I want to thank you for the people that have been so faithfully following this ministry, even during this season. Lord, the people that have been so patient with us as we, you know, <laughs> try to ride this learning curve and, you know, make decisions based on the information we have um, each step of the way. And God, I would really just ask that this morning, Lord, that this wouldn't just be some kind of, you know, habitual you know, teaching, but this would be actually a divine word from you, Lord Jesus, that it would be something that would be powerful, that it would be something that would be effective, not just something that's popular or eloquent, but that it would be full of your spirit and bathed in your anointing, that it would go forth in the power of the Holy Ghost and that it would really penetrate the hearts and minds of everybody that's listening, that Lord, you say that your word never comes back to you void, but it always accomplishes the purpose which it was sent forth to accomplish. So, Lord, I would just ask that you accomplish your purpose with us here today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, anyway, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. You guys may have seen that from the, the title in the comments. Um, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, and what we're really looking for is we're looking for God choosing us for a purpose. So let's just let's just dive right in, okay? Ephesians chapter 1 starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth in him. And it continues on, but we're going to stop there and we're just going to kind of go back and just unpack this a little bit, break this down and see what we 
see what Paul's actually trying to communicate here. So you start off and Paul has his common introductory introduction. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And an apostle, you know, you have the apostles of Christ, which designates a specific office. But an apostle is just someone that is sent forth, someone that goes into an area maybe previously not ventured forth into, maybe where there's no churches existing, maybe where their gospel hasn't ever been presented before. So that's typically the role that Paul is identifying with here. He's saying, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus. I have the office given to me by Christ, and I am sent forth by by him to minister his word. But he says this interesting statement. He says, by the will of God. And I think it's interesting to kind of look at what he doesn't say. He doesn't say by the will of man. He doesn't say by the appointment of man, by the ordination of man, by the licensings of man. He doesn't say any of that. He says, by the will of God. Now, was Paul sent forth? You can read in the book of Acts where Paul and Barnabas did have hands laid on them, and they were sent forth from Antioch to do the work of the Lord. You can see that he was sent by man, but he doesn't address that. He says, by the will of God. In fact, let's just hop over here to Galatians 1, because I really want to show you what Paul's expressing here. In his introduction in Galatians, he says, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So Paul, what he's saying is, yes, men were the vehicle and the agency that sent me, but they weren't doing so by their own power or on the, of their own authority. I was sent and I was called and I was ordained by God. So like me personally, I'm going through the uh, Christian and Missionary Alliance for ordination, but I'm not going through there so that they can say that I'm called. I'm going through there because God has called me and I want them to acknowledge and affirm that call so that I can minister on God's behalf through the denomination or through the organization of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. So it's the same principle that Paul's saying here is, yes, he was part of the church and the early church, but he was saying that I'm ordained whether they recognize it or not. I was sent by them because they recognized my calling and God sending me. I had them acknowledge that and then went forth in that power. It's really important that we understand that because sometimes we place so much emphasis on what men say that men may say that you're not called or men may say that you're not supposed to do something when in fact God is telling you to do something. So yes, we want people to recognize the call of God on our lives just like Paul wanted them to recognize that call and send him forth, which they did. Just like I want the Christian Missionary Alliance to recognize the call in my life and ordain me and send me forth like they have. But if they didn't, and if they didn't with Paul, I wouldn't stop preaching the gospel because an organization or a group of people said they didn't feel like I was called because I know that I'm called. I know that it is the will of God for me to preach the gospel and carry that forth, and I'm going to do that no matter what anyone says. I'm going to preach the gospel even if everyone else says I'm not called, even if everyone else says that I shouldn't do that. And Paul was the same way. He said, I'm going to preach the gospel. In fact, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. And so it's really important that, that we understand that because Paul's talking about his calling, the reason that he was chosen, the purpose for which he was sent forth. And he continues and he says, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, understand just as it is important to understand the author, it's also important to understand the audience because everything that Paul's saying, he's writing to a group of believers. So when you see the you and the us and the we and the ours, he's talking about believers. He's not saying you as in the lost 
because he's writing to a group of believers. So he's talking to people in the faith. And that's really important as we continue. So keep that in mind. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he says this. He says, blessed be. Now understand the word that we translate as blessed. There's different variations of it. But right here, blessed be. It's a good word or a praise or a a word of adoration or admonition towards God. So it's saying praise be to God. Glory be, be to God. Blessed be God. And it's just extolling praises and adoration and worship on God. So he's saying praise be to God or God is worthy of praise not just because of what he's done, but because of who he is. See, I always say that that's the difference between praise and worship, is that worship is you are worshiping God for who he is. Praise is you are worshiping or celebrating something that God has done. So praise is about something that God has done, and worship is about who God is. And so he's saying, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, or freely given or abundantly given to us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. I think you just need to stop on that for a second. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God is worthy of praise because He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He has blessed us, the believers. Remember, I said it's important to understand who he's writing to. Those that are faithful in Christ Jesus, the saints, the church. He has blessed the church with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, I want you to understand, if you write in your Bible, I want you to take your pen out. I want you to circle that word in, right before Christ, in Christ. Because you're, there's several more instances. It's very important that you understand that. God didn't just take every spiritual blessing in heaven and pour it out upon you through any um, dispenser or vehicle or conductor possible. There's one avenue which God chose to pour out the spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Now when you read that, you can read it in kind of two manners. You can read it in the one that God has given us every blessing that heaven has to offer. Everything. That heaven has to offer, he's given to us. And the second one is, he hasn't necessarily given us everything that heaven has to offer, but everything that he has given to us, he's given to us in Christ. And the problem is, is that sometimes we can kind of say, well, it's one or the other. But Paul's actually communicating that it's both. It's not mutually exclusive, but it's rather mutually inclusive. That he's saying God has not only given us every single spiritual blessing that heaven has to offer, he's given us heaven's very best, but he's also given us heaven's very best through the person of Jesus Christ. So the best heaven has to offer is contained in Christ Jesus, which makes Christ Jesus the best that heaven has to offer. And he gave us all of those blessings in Christ. Here we get down to the nitty gritty. Just as he chose us. So he's beginning to unfold what some of those spiritual blessings in heavenly places are. And the first one, is that He chose us. And I really think that that's super important for us to understand. I know I keep saying that Ephesians is just so thick and so rich with theological points that you can pull from it. He chose us. If you're a believer, God chose you. 
And I know we always like to say that we choose God or that we chose God. And there's some truth to that. But the real truth is, is that God chose you. He's seen you. He knew you even before you were born. And He chose you. He chose us in Him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. That we would be holy and blameless before Him. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before God. So God chose us for a purpose. And that purpose is that we be holy or separate or called out or different or other than everything else and without blame before Him. So God chose us for the purpose of us being separate or different or other than and without any blame. You can't do that. I can't do that. I can't be separate because I'm before without Christ I'm just like the world. I I can't be holy. I can't make myself something other than what I am. I'm a human. I'm I have a body, I have a soul, I have organs that beat, I have a spirit, I have a mind. I'm the same as another human. So I can't make myself be holy. And I can't make myself be without blame because not only do I have the sin and the original sin that's passed down through Adam, but I also have the sin that I choose to partake in even though I know it's wrong. Even though I don't want to do it, I catch myself doing things that I shouldn't do and my thoughts betray me and and on and on and on and on. I can't make myself be without blame because even if right now I stopped and I never sinned again, I still have all of the sins that I've done before even as a child, all the way up through into adulthood. And I can't get rid of that guilt. I can't get rid of that blame. So I not only have the impossible task of making myself something other than what I am, I now have the impossible task of making myself blameless, which I cannot do. I can't pay the penalty for my sins. They're too great. The penalty is too much. I can't make myself guilt-free or blameless from those sins. So I am being asked to do an impossible task. God has chosen me and chosen you for a task that you cannot accomplish. And let me, let me prove it. Let's go over to Romans 3. I wrote this down in the, the description as well. Romans 3, we're going to start at verse 9. And if you don't want to turn over there, just listen. He says, what then? This is also Paul writing. Are we better than they? Not at all, for we have already charged or determined that both Jews and Greeks or Gentiles or any other placeholder you want to say, you have Jews and you have everybody else, at least according to the audience that Paul's talking to here. You have those that have the Judaism or the legalistic religion of the Mo- built upon the Mosaic law, and then you have the Gentiles or the Greeks or everyone else. He says, everyone. We're all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous or in right standing with God. Not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All, everyone, 
has turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asp or serpents is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed, and all the world may become accountable or guilty to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Paul's using that argument to break down their thought that they were justified by their own works and that they were made acceptable in God's sight through the works of the law, through their legalistic practices. And Paul's saying, you can't do it. Even if you follow the law to the best of your ability, you're still falling infinitely short. And if you read a couple verses uh, later, you get to that famous verse that says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So Paul is using that to show that you cannot do it. You cannot. And here, Paul, in writing to the church at Ephesus, he's saying the same thing. You are chosen to be holy and without blame, but you can't do it. So the first blessing, the spiritual blessing that Paul is kind of beginning to dissect in this chapter is a spiritual blessing that seems to be almost a charge to do something you can't do. So we need something else. Does that make sense that Paul is saying that the first spiritual blessing is that God has chosen us for a purpose, but we can't accomplish the purpose for which we're chosen for. So what we see as a blessing may in fact be a weight upon us that we can't bear. But God is good because he says, Paul continues, because if he stopped there, this would be a rough situation, but he continues and he says, in love. He predestined us or predetermined or pre-decided or decided or determined beforehand us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. So we need to understand this train of thought here that Paul's saying you have been chosen for a purpose that you can't accomplish and then God knowing that you can't accomplish that purpose. I mean, doesn't the book of Revelation say that Jesus Christ is a lamb slain before the foundation of the world, that God had predetermined through his predeterminate counsel, he offered up Jesus Christ as a sacrifice or as an offering for our sins. He predetermined this plan of adoption to bring us in through this plan of adoption into being sons or children of God through Christ Jesus to himself according to the kind intention of his will. So here is the solution to the problem that we can't accomplish. First of all, we can't make ourselves something that we're not. You can't make yourself a new creature, a new creation. You can't make yourself something other than what you are. So you cannot make yourself holy. You cannot make yourself blameless because you can't deal with the blame and the guilt and the penalty of sin that you already hold. Even if you never sinned again, you still have sins unaccounted for and undealt with in your past. So what Paul is saying here is God knowing all of this according to his foreknowledge, according to his infinite understanding, his omniscience, 
He predetermined or predestined this plan of adoption that would bring us in as sons and daughters of God. And therefore, through the work of Christ, we would be made new creatures. That's 2 Corinthians 5.17, that in Christ you are a new creature or a new creation. So through this plan of adoption, He makes you sons and daughters of God. So He's making you something different than what you were. A new creature or a new creation that makes you holy because now you're you're something set apart and different from the rest of the world. So what you were as being a part of the world, you are now taken out of it and made something new, made something holy. And then to go a step further, Jesus Christ becoming our substitute or our propitiation unto God, He has now atoned for our sin, making us blameless. So the two things that God has chosen you for, to be holy and to be blameless, you can accomplish. So He accomplishes it for you in the person and the work of Christ Jesus. And this is all done to the praise of the glory of His grace, His gift, His goodness, the overflow of unmerited favor, which He freely bestows on us in the Beloved or in Christ. Circle those. How many times have you already seen it? Um, Verse 3, it says the heavenly places in Christ. Verse 4, it says just as He chose us in Him or in Christ. Um, Then He goes down to... Verse 5, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. And then verse 7 starts off in Christ or in him again. So you see that in Christ, in him, in the beloved, in love. It's all contained in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And it's freely given. Verse 7, in him. In Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us all. And that word lavished is such a beautiful word because it just talks about this glorious outpouring, this overwhelming, overflowing outpouring onto yourself. Mm. I love this. Just think about this principle here. Imagine for a second. Imagine that you go into the grocery store. (laughs) I know. Gear change. Imagine that you go into the grocery store and as you're walking down the aisles, you you know which aisle you're going to. So you go down here in Walmart, you go to the baking aisle, um, you grab a bag of flour, then you go over to dairy, you grab, you know, um, a thing of eggs, carton of eggs, and then you realize, oh, I forgot the sugar. So you go back to the baking aisle and you get the sugar and you get the cocoa powder. Maybe you get a little baking soda. Um, I don't know what else. Oh, you grab and you stop, grab some icing, you grab some candles. You got all of those things. Because you had a predetermined idea of what you were going to do with those things. You get home, you mix the ingredients together, however you choose to do that. And then you put the cake in the oven and then it bakes. And then you ice it with candles and or icing. And then you put candles in it and you light the candles. Because there's a birthday party or an event that's coming up that you want to celebrate and you want to do so with a cake. So you buy individual ingredients with a predetermined purpose for those ingredients. You didn't just buy the flour to put it in your pantry or in your uh, kitchen so it would just sit there for all of eternity being the way it was. You bought it with the intention of doing some things to it and changing it into something else. So that's essentially the same idea. It's a very, very crude example, but it's the same idea that God chose us 
in Christ with a predetermined purpose of what we would be once He got His hands on us. Once He got us in the covenant, changing us and molding us and making us a new creation so that we would then be holy and we would be without blame before Him in love and that we would be a part of this adoption so that we could then be ensembles or examples to those around us that they would see that there was something different about us. That you can tell the difference if you put a fully decorated cake next to a bag of flour and some eggs and some baking soda and you know the rest of the ingredients, you're going to be easily able to identify the difference that this one has a purpose that has been accomplished and these are just ingredients and they haven't been changed. They're just products. God takes us and changes us into something different than what we were. And the whole purpose, the whole predestined portion is not about whether or not we will be saved. It's about the plan of adoption to get us to be something different than we already were, that he predestined the means by which we would be saved and what would happen to us once we were saved, that he predestined, he preselected, he pre-chose us to be something different than what we are now. He pre-selected us or chose us to be holy and without blame before him in love. And to accomplish this purpose, he sacrificed his son, which would A, make us a new creature, which would make us holy because now being a new creature, we're different from others. We're different from the rest of the world. And B, it would be the redemption through the shedding of his blood to pay the penalty for our sin, which would make us without blame. So you can see that progression very clearly. A, he chose us. We can't accomplish the purpose for which He chose us. He chose us to accomplish a purpose that we're not capable of completing. And to uh, mediate or to uh, solve that dilemma, He predestined a plan of adoption that would take us from being not sons or enemies of God to make us sons and daughters of God in Christ Jesus and then and through the sacrifice of his son redeem our sins making us holy and making us blameless do you see that i've said it several different times hopefully that i can get that point across that god selected us for a purpose to be holy and without blame that's the first spiritual blessing that god had selected us that he chose us the second spiritual blessing is knowing that we couldn't accomplish that purpose god accomplished it for us in the person of christ jesus the third spiritual blessing is that god atoned for our sins through the shed blood of christ jesus let's continue in all wisdom and insight this is just a reference to his lavishing the grace upon us through his wisdom and his insight he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he had purposed in him or in Christ. So there's a lot of talk about what the mystery of his will is here. I'm going to solve that for you. Verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention. Stop. See that wording, according to his kind intention? Jump back over to verse 5. Verse 5, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to what? The kind intention of his will. So over here in verse 9 when he says he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention. And verse 5 is saying that the plan of adoption through Jesus Christ was according to his kind intention. Then you can see if the mystery and the unveiling of the mystery was according to his kind intention and the plan of adoption was according to his kind intention, then maybe it just stands to read that the mystery that Paul's talking about in this continuation of his train of thought is the adoption. 
that the mystery that was a mystery throughout the entire Old Testament, uh, they talk about the prophets awaiting the day and awaiting the revelation of grace through the Spirit of Christ which was in them testifying that that whole testimony of the Old Testament, what was a mystery then has been unveiled to us now through Christ Jesus, that it was Christ Jesus and the plan of adoption that God chose to accomplish in the person of Jesus that saves us and unveils the mystery. With a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth in Him. So everything, everything comes under subjection to Christ. All of those that were in the old covenant, now they find their redemption through Christ Jesus. The law, that whole drive of Romans showing the laws in ability to accomplish that which grace accomplishes or that which faith accomplishes. He's now showing that all of that, the Old Testament, the New Testament, things in heaven, things in the earth, they all come under the authority of Christ Jesus. And it's only through Christ that we can attain this inheritance. Now I want you to skip over to chapter 2. There's a lot more richness there, but to continue this train of thought, I want you to skip over to chapter 2 just for a moment. (laughs) I love the way that this starts off. It says, And you... He's talking to the church. Remember, we got to remember the audience. He's talking to the church. He says, and you were dead. You were dead. You weren't sick. You weren't dying. You were completely dead. Imagine. I think about this and my mind just works in some of these illustrations sometimes. But imagine that a man or a woman is convicted of a crime. Say they murdered someone. Or it's, they're allegedly, allegedly they murdered someone. And they're suspected and there's a large amount of evidence. And while they're awaiting trial, maybe two or three days before their trial, they die. Now, they could still theoretically hold the trial and, you know, find this person guilty or innocent um, so that they could either A, confirm their suspicions and know that they're not looking for someone else, or and B, that they could, you know, advocate advocate for the family and, you know, restore the reputation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But they could also just cancel the trial and say, well, there's a large amount of evidence. We don't want to waste the taxpayer dollars and, you know, our time. There's a large amount of evidence. This man died. You know, he, we're just going to say he was guilty and move on. He can't defend himself because he's dead. So it's up to others to determine. He's not technically, because he's dead, he don't have any rights. So technically, he can't be guaranteed a trial. He can't be guaranteed that someone's going to go and fight on his behalf and either prove him guilty or innocent. So his fate is completely in someone else's hands. But then again, imagine that someone is allegedly convicted of a murder and they're sick or they're dying, but they're still alive. And they just say, ah, you're dying. So we're just going to cancel this trial. We're not going to have the trial. That would be absurd. They wouldn't do that. Even if he was going to die in the next few days, they would still hold the trial and find him either guilty or innocent so that that would determine how his last few days were spent. The reason that I'm suggesting this is because the one man has rights because he's alive. Even though he is dying, he still has rights. He still has privileges. He's still entitled to certain things. And so he can still fight for himself. He can still be studying even though he's sick and dying. He can still be trying to show the invalidity of the evidence against him or trying to come 
come up with his alibi, what have you. But the man that's dead, his fate's entirely in someone else's hands. So Paul's using this, you were dead, to show that your fate is not in your hands. You have no capability of redeeming yourself. You have no capability of arguing for your innocence. You have no ability whatsoever to do anything. You are dead in your sins and in your trespasses. So you cannot, A, earn your righteousness. B, you cannot pay the penalty because you're already dead. You can't serve your time. You can't do anything. You are done, dead, finite, finished. And he continues to labor this point. He says, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, or the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them too, we all, Everyone, everybody, Christian, non-Christian, we all have formerly or are currently living in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of our flesh and the desires of our mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So what he's saying here is every single person, no one deserves this. No one attained their own salvation. No one was capable of fighting or arguing for themselves. Everyone was condemned. Everyone. That's kind of like reflecting Romans chapter 3 that we just read, that everyone was guilty under God. That the law came and it proved that no one was righteous. No one sought after God. No one really wanted this thing. No one. It was all Jesus. Because it says right here, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even, love that word, even. God rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. See that? Paul is reiterating this whole, we were chosen for a purpose. We were chosen to be A, holy, B, without blame. We couldn't accomplish either thing. We couldn't be holy because we can't make ourselves something other than what we are. And we can't be without blame because we have no way, being dead, we have no way of atoning for our sins. We have no way of working it off or paying our debt or making ourselves righteous. We have no way of doing those things. But God, who is rich in mercy with his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, even when we were his enemies, even when we were unworthy, especially when we were unworthy. He made us alive together with Christ. I love this. By grace, you have been saved. It's a gift. You've been saved by the gift of grace. And God raised us up with Christ. Christ came, he lived, and he died. He went to the place where we are. He We're dead, he died, and he rose so that that resurrection life is available to us. And then he seated us, the believers, with him in heavenly places. There's that phrase again, in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So his purpose continues here. Remember I said that he had a purpose and that once that purpose is accomplished in us, then we are set forth as ensembles and examples to others that they can see, hey, there's something different about you. You're a finished product. You're a cake. I can tell that you're a cake. You're no longer just flour and eggs and all these you know, unfinished ingredients, but you have, God has taken you and made you and molded you into something worth having for the express purpose that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace, of the gift that he gives freely in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. 
in these beautiful verses right here. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not as a result of works that you've done. You didn't earn this. You didn't somehow become good enough for God to love you so that no one may boast. There's no bragging if it's all Jesus. We were dead. We couldn't accomplish it. We couldn't do it. We couldn't work it. It was all Jesus. There's no bragging on our part. We can't say, oh, God loved me, changed me, so I'm going to brag about the works that I've done. That's foolishness. There's no works. There's no bragging. We didn't accomplish this. God did it. And then I love this verse because it kind of concludes our thought process here. Remember, we were chosen for a purpose, to be holy and without blame. We couldn't do it. Christ did it. He makes us a new creature. He makes the dead alive. And therefore, we are holy. If everyone else is dead and you're the only one alive, then you were different or set apart or other than they are. So we being alive are now other than those that are dead in sin. And He makes us that new creation. And through the shedding of His blood, paying the penalty for our sins as our substitution, now we're without blame because God doesn't take the penalty that was owed to us, inflicted upon Jesus, and then inflict upon us again. He's not unjust in that regard. No, the debt's been paid. Okay, I'm not going to double charge. I'm not going to double inflict the penalty. God paid the penalty for our sins in the person of Jesus Christ and God accepted that offering. So we are now blameless through faith in Christ Jesus. And I love this because it, like I said, it concludes the thought. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Remember I said you were a new creature created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. Remember, God chose us for a purpose that we couldn't accomplish. That's the purpose that he prepared beforehand. We couldn't accomplish it. He accomplishes it for us in Christ Jesus. And now we are his workmanship and we can accomplish those works through the power of the Spirit from being found in Christ Jesus, seated in heavenly places. Hopefully that that made sense and maybe that's something that you can take and apply to your life. So let's just close out in prayer. And God... I thank you for the opportunity to preach your word, Lord. Sometimes I wish that I was more eloquent in my delivery, but Lord, I'll sacrifice eloquence every time if it can be effective. And so God, I'm really hoping and I'm really praying and I'm believing that maybe something in this message effectively is working a change in someone's life. Lord, please let us understand this premise very clearly that we cannot be saved by our own labors, our own efforts, that it has to be the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It has to be through the atoning work of Christ Jesus. But that doesn't mean that once we're atoned, there's no calling or there's no purpose in our lives. God, you chose us for a purpose, and because we couldn't accomplish that purpose, you accomplished it for us and then gave us the empowerment of the Spirit so then we could go on and continue to accomplish that same purpose. God, do a good work in us. Lord, even through this uncertain time, even in this crazy situations that we find ourselves in, please move in our hearts and our minds and accomplish a good work in us because after all, you have predestined us to accomplish good works through the power of Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys.